Ready? Hello and welcome everyone back to another week in the encounter. This is lesson 12. We are February 20th, 2022. We're so glad that you could join us again this week. This week it's on John 7, Living Water. If you haven't joined us before, I am Reverend Rebecca Zardi. I am the Director of Ministry with Women for the Ministry Council for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And I am joined today by my cohort in crime. Yeah the Reverend Dr. Uh, Chris. So I'm in a little different place. I'm in Chicago at an education conference. And so um, Chicago has the mask mandates. And in order to get anywhere, you have to have your mask, you have to have your vaccine documents, and you have to show your ID. The bad thing about that is, is that when I breathe in the mask, it fogs up the glasses. So I'm wearing contacts. Yeah. And I am now old enough to where I also have to have cheaters if I'm wearing my contacts. And so um, new room, new look, um, we're ready to roll. But thanks for being with us and um, we'll we'll get it done. I will also say we've had just a terrible time with, uh, I know a lot of our churches have already got their encounters. If you haven't gotten your encounter yet, um, we still got a couple of weeks. Um, the U.S. Postal Service just decided not to come like four days, two different weeks in a row. Uh, to the center in Memphis, and we've lodged a complaint. But uh, anyway, hang in there. Uh, if you haven't got them, you know, in, in a week or so, please make sure you contact me, cfleming at cumberland.org, and we'll figure something out. Uh, we'll make it happen. Uh, but it, this was outside of our control completely. Um, so, but thank you for being faithful subscribers and uh, welcome. Welcome. So we are in John 7 this week. Our scripture selection is John 7, 37 through 52. And the memory verse for this week is John 7, 37. Before we jump in to all of this lovely stuff, let us begin with our prayer for illumination. We thank you and praise you, O God, that however we may thirst, whatever we may need to satisfy our souls, you offer it freely and abundantly in Christ. So let us drink deep of the living water. And as we draw from your wells, we seek to pass the cup to others who, like us, are thirsty for your grace. Amen. And that is from John Vandelar, Sacredis.com. Yeah, I stumbled upon that website and prayer. thought it was good. That is really good. I love that. So Kip starts us off this week with some great discussion questions about mosaics and stained glass artwork. I know I have been in a lot of churches that have some both beautiful mosaic and stained glass artwork. I've had the opportunity to travel to Europe a few different times. And some of the old churches with the the stained glass windows in them are just fantastic. But I've also been to places like Pompeii. Um, where they have the old Roman mosaics. And, and it's really interesting. I mean, it's intriguing to me, the artistry that they had, like, I don't think we've talked about this before. One of the things that I loved about Pompeii the most, and it kind of goes along with mosaics is their sidewalks. Their sidewalks in Pompeii are elevated because you have to remember during that time you had horse and buggy. And so the horses, as they were going along, were doing their thing. Um, And so to not step in that, they would have elevated sidewalks. Well, this was long before, you know, electricity and gas lanterns were invented. And so one of the things in the sidewalks is in between the large rocks on each of the corners, there was a piece of white marble. They're called cat eye marble. It's 
bright, brilliant white. And so on moonlit nights, you have all these like glowing along the sidewalk from these white marble pieces so that you can see where the sidewalks were at night. I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. But there's some really interesting um, mosaics. I wanted to show you one. Let me share my screen real quick. That is not the one I want. Um, This one is starting in, um, it's in Megiddo in Israel. In Megiddo, there we go. There's that one. This is um, one of the, what they consider one of the oldest churches in Israel. And you have the, the two fish there at the center of this mosaic. So the mosaics are just um, literally just colored rock that they've put together. And I thought that was really cool to think about as, as Kip was introducing us to mosaics and stained glass, how you put all these little pieces and together they make this beautiful picture. Yeah, I was, you know, when I was thinking my grandmother was a big stained glass window person. Um, But so I did want to, because this was really neat um, in my travels for the denomination, there is a church in Casey, Illinois um, that bought a building that was, I think owned by the Presbyterians. I can't remember the story, but if maybe you're, listening to this from this church, you can help us out. Um, I think it's Casey, Illinois. Uh, When you walk in to the left, they have a stained glass window of Abraham Lincoln that was uh, given by, uh, I think it's called the Grand Army of the Republic. Um, And there were a couple of those made, but anyway, this church has that. That was kind of, but then when you get in the sanctuary, they have this really beautiful stained glass window of Jesus and the sheep and all that. It's a very, very pretty church. Um, So anyway, I thought that's, that's good, uh, Carmelin Presbyterian, um, Carmelin Presbyterian stuff for you. Um, yes. Stained glass window of Abraham Lincoln at the Casey Illinois Church. Kind of fun. It is absolutely beautiful. And I think, I guess, what we should highlight is the, one of the reasons as to why Kip brings this up is that in this lesson, a couple lessons ago, he talked about you know the living water. So mm-hmm. I think instead of maybe you know keeping keeping in that theme, he talks about how, in in a lot of ways, the church is a mosaic it's a stained glass window and yeah and you can see the interactions between jesus and the temple police and the pharisees that a lot of it is this fighting about who's who's interpreting who has the right to be right or who is Mm -hmm. right and so uh, but yet you have all these pieces that fit together and work together to make this beautiful yeah when you bring it out masterpiece right like and put it all together it feels pretty good yeah, because if you've ever worked on a mosaic, you know, you, you have all these little colored stones and you just, it doesn't make a pretty picture to begin with. But as you work on it, I guess another great example is just kind of any kind of artwork. Like I've been to, um, I've been to Rome and I've been to see uh, the Sistine Chapel and, and Michelangelo's work there. And if you're up close, you just, because they're so huge they're absolutely the frescoes are so huge that if you're up close to it you just have like a little color swatch but it's when you pull back out from it and you can take in the whole piece um that it becomes this beautiful amazing picture that's just um astonishing of what what michelangelo could accomplish yeah you know in the system chapel it's really cool yeah and i think that's what kip is really kind of going with here is you know if you look at the small interactions you need to pull back and look at the whole, the picture as a whole. 
So then he jumps into exploring the scripture with the historical setting. And he talks about this festival of, I'm going to say it right, Sukkot. Yes. Is so how you pronounce it. Sukkot. For all you teachers, Sukkot. Yes. We had to look it up to make sure we were saying Sukkot. it right. Didn't want to add the Southern twang to that. It's Sukkot is, is how you actually pronounce it. <laughs> and he gets into... <laughs> He gets into really, I'm going to laugh about that forever, um, about the significance of what Jesus was saying. And Chris, you had some really neat information kind of to help add to this festival of Sukkot and why, why this was so significant in what Jesus was saying here. So uh, Sukkot is one of the three festivals that every Jewish man was required to go to. Uh, and, and it, and again, just like a lot of the stuff in Judaism, it harkens back to the celebration and the remembrance of the Passover, right? And so, um, so not to go too far down that hole, but in in this festival, um, water, you know, is a big thing. The reason why you have booth, booths is because it's that symbolism of traveling, right? You're not you're not necessarily right. at home. Um, and then you have you know you have some some sense in which. Uh, you, you had worship, but anyway, I mean, it's a harken back to all the little elements of the, of the Exodus. So when you think of the booths, again, you think about the tabernacle, you think about the fact that they're going from Egypt to the promised land. When you think about the water, it should bring back the Moses and the rock, like mm-hmm. where the people are thirsty. And then of course, Moses gets mad and hits the rock and he shouldn't hit the rock. He should have just spoke to the rock. Nonetheless, we won't go down that road, but it was a, it was the symbolisms in which God um, saved the the Jewish folks. Also, if you hear an ambulance, I'm in Chicago. You need to make up your own mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, so uh, part of this festival is every day that they would have uh, a pouring out of of water, and then you would have the for the first six days. It was kind of just a smaller type ritual, but then on the seventh day, you had the big pomp and circumstance where two bowls were brought up. Uh, the uh, priest would walk around the altar seven times and then they would pour the water out uh, and then people would shout, what was it they were shouting after? Hosanna or Hoshiana, uh, which translated means save us or save now, uh, which is essentially what Jesus or what God did in the Exodus. Every time they were hungry, gave bread. When they were thirsty, gave the water. And it wasn't just a, I've had a, I've had a week of thinking about these things. It wasn't just a spiritual thing either actually it was god saving them physically uh with water with bread and so on but it was also ultimately supposed to be understood as even though they were going to a physical promised land they were also journeying in their faith to a spiritual promised land and so jesus then at this festival while they're celebrating god saving them physically he stands up and says yes but i'm the water that saves spiritually it's like this uh what you're singing about what you're acting out is found in me um, mm-hmm. and that's what then the problems begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause Jesus stands up and says, all who are thirsty come to me. Um, and you can imagine what, what would have happened there. And that's what Kip really gets into with the discussion questions, because then we have all these questions of, well, where's he from? Is that the town that he's supposed to be born in? Um, I didn't think the Messiah was supposed to come from there. And it's, you know, how can you say that? Because, you know, you're, you're human and you've been born in a human element and, you know, you haven't declared that you're the great army and, and, 
raised up the the messianic army that the jews were expecting to kick the romans out and you i know, think all of these things before we get into the discussion question i'll share my screen here if i can mm-hmm. and uh and show you how this is practiced still today uh, today this is in new york yeah. can you see that nope all right let's do this how about now now i can see that yeah so that's isn't that amazing yeah that's a jewish neighborhood in uh, new york and they new build york. these booths on the uh on their balconies right mm-hmm. so um, and so even today the juice no matter where they are the juice still practice this festival of sukkot where they are living in these little booths um to harken back to the exodus to remember the providence that god gave them yeah and it's really neat and again i think we highlight the fact that i mean it was these rituals that kept the jews together i mean remember they didn't have a homeland after you know the romans destroyed the temple and and all that jazz and they didn't have a homeland up until i guess the seven day war 1950 something but you know how how hard would it be for a civilization to stay as they have i mean civilizations come and go but because of these rituals of the passover and the feast the booths and all the pentecost um it's an amazing story really Mm -hmm. yeah it's a a way for them to stay connected to their faith and connected to their culture no matter where they live in the world it's really quite astonishing so with the questions this is with jesus declaring that he's the water and anyone who thirsts come to him this is the challenge he's basically challenging and kip talks about this on page 81 he says he's basically challenging their history and their god so their understanding of who God is and how he works through their lives, he's, he's challenging that. He's saying, okay, yes, you've been doing this festival, but now if you're thirsty, come to me and you'll get the living water. And, and through all of this, you can imagine the turmoil that this has created because you've got people, you know, John tells us that there's people there that believed him instantly and were like, oh, he must be the Messiah. Some people calling him just a prophet. And then they were going, well, you know, didn't he come from Galilee? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to come from Bethlehem, the city of David? And then you have the Pharisees who are the the keepers of the law saying, who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not God. Who do you think you are? <clears throat> so um, Kip gets into it with the discussion questions. And he asks us, why, why was the birthplace of the Messiah so important? Well, I mean, like if the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, which I think it is, is a relevatory oh revelation-based religion right um or prophetic in the in the you know future telling sense then it is kind of important like if scripture says to look for your messiah to come to a certain city or region then yeah i mean it's i wouldn't call it trivial um no no in that sense because like you know if if becky i told you that uh one day there was a chocolate chip cookie that was going to be behind your welcome to the porch sign and and then you found one in the kitchen that one's not yours (laughs) <laughs> right like so my poor husband <laughs> he's so, gonna have know. to eat all the chocolate chip cookies yeah right. but sure. i mean so so it is a little bit important um yeah uh, but again i mean that that depends on how you come at it uh so it might seem trivial for us because we don't even think about that because we've been assuming Taught. for two thousand years that course jesus wherever jesus was born was where the messiah was born right yeah so it's hard but remembering that they didn't have the new testament scriptures that all they had was the old testament let's say this okay go ahead like we brought up you brought up in that uh, article the 
Medigo uh, prison. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's yeah. mentioned a couple times in Revelation. We talk about signs and wonders. Do we Christians yeah. ever think about where something's coming from or if some event is the sign of, of, a, of the apocalypse or anything like that? I mean, it's kind of, I would say, kind of a similar thing. Like sure. we rely on prophecies to try to figure out what's coming next and what's true and what's not. And so right. that's a little yeah. bit. I don't want to get, I mean, I'm not all left behind crazy, you know, about passionate about things, but it, but it does right. help us to understand we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And so we look for signs and wonders sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were looking for was signs and wonders and understanding that their Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem and that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they associated him more with Galilee and, and Nazareth than they right. did Bethlehem, even though, you know, we have, we have the understanding that he was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't really necessarily and then the temple police, that one was an interesting one. I really liked that question. So what do you think was going on with the temple police? They don't want to get in trouble. I mean, you know, like exactly. they're just getting paid to do a job. <laughs> you know, if you side with, you know, with, with Jesus and the common people, then your job's taken away. And then if you side with the uh, Pharisees and the religious folk or the, you know, authorities, then maybe your common people start beating you on the head with something. I don't, that's what I would say. I wouldn't want to. Yeah. I think, want that I job. think they're really caught in the middle, you know, between the two, you know, do you offend all the rest of your countrymen or do you offend those that were in authority? You know, where, which direction are you going to go? Cause I think you get, you get stuck in the middle with that. I think that's the, that might be the, the characteristic of religious life right now. Yes. And they're probably good people. Right. Because, and like, they might even believe in Jesus, but like, what if, what, what happens if they cause turmoil and they don't want to do that. So that's hard, hard position to be in. You know, that's a really great point considering there is so much just turmoil in, I think all avenues of our life here in the United States. And I need to, to differentiate that it's here in the United States that we seem to have this level of division right now, where, where, how, how do you go, you know, which direction do you turn and, and what, what can you say and can't say? I think that's, that's a hard thing for us at this moment. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, me, I, I, I think different than a lot of people I work with. They think different from me. If in our denomination, we have people that disagree with one another, but ultimately I don't want to do anything that hurts somebody, you know, No. Sure. but how far do I go with that and say, you know, this is my conviction. And so anyway, I, I understand where the temple police are. I could be mm-hmm. a good temple police. I could just make things worse by not clarifying anything. I'm good at that. well and then maybe we need to be more like nicodemus i don't know so nicodemus interaction was interesting because he really just asked a question but i think he was trying to do the same thing like remember when we were talking about nicodemus he comes to jesus by night this is the next episode where Mm -hmm. he's still not fully out as a christian but he's certainly not in with the and so this is a way of saying thinking Nobody can really get mad if I say it this way, but it'll help the situation. So let me say it this way. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's thinking about, he's thinking about things. I mean, this interaction that he had with Jesus, and there's a lot of us that have been like this, that it's been a transition over time. His interaction with Jesus has caused him to question, question the things that he truly believed in the way that he understood them. And so now he's been, he's been ruminating over all this stuff he's really been mulling it over and so now he gets to this point where there's this issue 
here. And Nicodemus just asks this question, you know, our, our laws say that you can't judge somebody without giving them a fair trial to see what, what's really going on. And the rest of the Pharisees are like, who are you with then? Are you, are you with this guy then too? And And they get really offended. This is the next step in his faith. You can tell he's pushing back, you know, he's been thinking, so he's pushing back a little bit, but he's not going so far as to claim I'm on his side. Right. Jesus' side. And and I think we all, like I said, we're in a journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people aren't. I admire people who are completely on fire and, and like Stephen in Acts chapter two. Sure. Like I'm, I admire that. I am not that person. I am Peter. (laughs) On a relatively good day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So what do you think? Is that do you have anything else that you wanted to hit on the exploring scripture? No, I think that covers what we need to okay. get into. I mean, there's some yeah. stuff in there that as a Sunday school teacher, you can certainly delve into a little deeper. But yeah, for us, I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Just understand the significance of what he said at that moment in time that this festival of Sukkot was just so important to them. Um, and, and his declaration that he made at that moment in time, I think it's really important. So yeah. And maybe as a teacher do a little bit of time, um, seeing how each of the components you can look up, just look up Sukkot and the rituals that they do and, and which parts of the Exodus that each thing symbolizes and then how Jesus comes in and says, but I'm the fulfillment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Very important. So let's dig a little bit deeper with the scripture. So Kip here goes a little bit deeper into the living water illusions. And we've already talked about some of them with the woman at the well. Um, That was something that we've already addressed in a previous lesson about how important Jesus's declaration that he was the living water to her. Um, And he does talk about here. I wanted to just get this. It's on page 82 says ancients would recognize Jesus's words as a paraphrase, a common technique in rhetorical performances. With this paraphrase, Jesus acts as an authoritative interpreter of scripture. He knows scripture so well that he can blend its themes and language to communicate truth. And that's important because I think in our culture, when we expect somebody to talk about something, we want a direct quotation. Um, And that's not how they worked in their culture, that they did more of this um, paraphrasing. So Jesus is taking all these images from the Old Testament and bringing them forward and saying this, I am the living water. I am the spiritual truth that you need. Yeah, I would say just maybe in your Sunday school class, you could have this discussion. When you look at uh, New Testament, a lot of times New Testament uh, authors will loosely paraphrase or loosely uh, use some Old Testament quotes and and uh, this might be something big in your class it might not but like um, I don't know how many times I've had discussions about what what translation somebody uses um, you know which is accurate or not accurate and I studied Greek and Hebrew for a long time and I can read it uh, but you know there's a lot of people who've done a lot of good work <laughs> getting some of our translations uh, in in scripture and, and so I guess even Jesus, you know, you, you pull out the truth, right? There's a truth in scripture. Um, but the words you use exactly, that's, that's kind of tough and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But I think also what it means is that the word should be accessible, right? But it shouldn't change the meanings 
So Jesus right. was giving meaning to this word, but he wasn't using like, you know, Deuteronomy 7, 8, quoting it. Right. Exactly. Right. But he does do yeah. that, though, in like, um, was in his uh, talk with Satan in the wilderness. But, um, sure. but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because we get really, really upset about some of these things. And I don't know if we it's, do. I don't know if that's necessarily worth the energy, but. You know. Right. I'm with you because we just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. So he asked some of those questions, you know, Jesus paraphrasing the old Testament. Do you think the listeners understood what he was saying? What do you think? I think exactly they did because they wanted to kill him. That's true. I mean, Absolutely. I think, I think they were getting the point <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and then he, he asked them his next reflection question. This was a good one. And, and Sunday school teachers, this may be one, I don't know. <laughs> this could cause up some some issue what are some traditions you have in church and what is the meaning behind them you want me to go yeah i think this is an important because each church okay both the churches that i served they had slightly different traditions things that they did at certain times of the year that were important to them and even the church that i came out of did things a little bit different yeah um you know so if you do you understand, I guess maybe for me, it was understanding why they started the traditions. What yeah. was the importance and significance of it? I think on my end, I think I've been through this a little bit. I don't think it's reinterpreting things necessarily, but um, when I came to Margaret Hank, they certainly weren't as high church as I was. Um, mm-hmm. They had some elements that they appreciated, but I added some for sure. And at the time I got some pushback, but then, you know, when we merged with another church and it radically reinterpreted some of our, or took out some of our, then people were like, I didn't think I'd miss that that much. Even if it's just the, uh, you know, con- call to confession, prayer, confession, and proclamation right. of, of forgiveness. Um, or, you know, the, where we put the passing of the peace or where we put the offering or things like that. Um, when you, when you theologically think things through, it certainly puts an interpretation on them, right? And so I think because I'm a snob, right? So like, that's what I think of when I think of traditions. Right. But I guess we had some other traditions, you know, like uh, food drives at certain times of the year and, and why we did those things or, or whatnot. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would think have a problem if somebody tried to reinterpret scripture. Oh, gosh. Which is what Jesus was doing. I think I'd have to sure. sit and think about that for a minute. Sure. So. Yeah, because he, I mean, he really did with, with his declaration, he was, you know, just like Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to him, he understood scripture to be one way. And Jesus was like, but it's not, right. that's, that's not exactly the way it's playing out and, and trying to explain it to him in a different path. So yeah, that would be really, that would be really hard. You know, I, for me, when I, cause I came from a tradition that was very different from the Cumberland Presbyterian church and some yeah. of the things that we understand in scripture, you know, women in ministry, I came from a, a denomination that did not believe in women in ministry. And I felt this calling on my life. And I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian church under a woman minister And I really had to pray and seek God to help me understand that women could be in ministry because I knew this person was called. I knew she spoke through the spirit because it 
touch the very depths of my soul every week, but yet I couldn't comprehend why it was okay for her to be in a, in a leadership position. And God really had to show me through scripture, all these amazing, yeah, all these amazing women leaders that, that were present the whole time in scripture, just were not discussed in, in my particular denomination at that time. So that's, you know, that's a tradition that for me, it changed. Thank you. Yeah. And I think this leads in, I'm going to go a little farther because it's, but I don't want to jump too far if you're not ready to go that way either. No, Um, you're good. So like, um, I'm at a, I'm at a education conference, uh, and with a different denomination. And though we share our reformed heritage, you can see where, um, in our society, you know, the theories of atonement or what salvation means or what holiness means are interpreted differently by different uh, denominations and it can cause friction. Right. And so how do we learn to deal with that in response to like Jesus reinterpreting this and some people believing and then some people not, how do you, how do you live? I mean, other than being the, you know, temple police and just trying to get along, you know, trying to survive, not get killed either with destruction. Yeah. Um, but I think what Kip does when he comes into this next section is that just be careful that the ritual or be careful that your, your hard orthodoxy is based in a relationship with Christ who is the living water. And I think mm-hmm. that's so like, however you understand the, the symbolism, don't keep it from you knowing Jesus at a deep, deeper level because you want to sure. uphold it. Um, so anyway, but then also, I guess on the other side was don't, you know, those rituals are still important because they form and shape around how to understand Jesus. I don't know, right. So. Yeah, but. absolutely. Because I think a lot of our traditions and our rituals, well, okay. So the, the Jewish rituals, their customs were rooted in an understanding of the Exodus and what that meant for their entire nation. And as Jesus came and shifted how things were looked at so that it was an understanding that he was the culmination of the old Testament and the prophecies and everything that was spoken that he was this living water. It shifted then from having a singular tabernacle or temple that people went to, to Jesus being the temple and people could come to him, but he also went to them. And then yeah. as he went to them, and as we believed in him, then we become this little mobile temple, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to other people, inviting them into a relationship. And so it's that transformational change. It's not, we have to go to one specific place. It's now we're having this relationship back and forth. Right. And the promised land was no longer a, a uh, specific piece of physical land on this earth but it shifted to being in christ and being Mm -hmm. part of those and then that all those little temples becoming the church and then it becomes a you know heaven this kind of thing and so um there's certainly a big transition here for sure yeah absolutely which kind of leads me into my next thought on learning from the scripture kip has this sentence about halfway through it's the middle of page 84 if you're following along in the book and he says Yet so often the place where everyone should be welcome becomes a clearing house for those who only fit the prescribed ideal. Maybe that's why it has been said that the 11 o'clock AM hour is the most segregated hour in America. And I agree, but I disagree 
What do you think, Chris? I agree and disagree. I disagree in the sense of when you're talking about a mosaic, yep. right? You, you look, if you're real close to a mosaic, there's a lot of white stones or blue stones or red stones. But as you pull out, those are grouped in a purpose. And then as you pull farther back out, they're part of a beautiful mosaic. And I think with, you know, like in this lesson and the way we've thought about church in the last two years, for sure, we say the church is less about a building, but more about the people who worship. If that's true, then it's unfair to say that a local congregation is reflective of the separateness of the church, because as we worship, there's also churches in Africa and Asia and Canada and Mexico and, you know, all parts of the world that are worshiping. And so if you look at that one particular spot, you might say, wow, that's a segregated place, but we all claim Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ claims us and we have our, our common Christian faith you know, the Apostles' Creed, if you want to. I wonder how many churches and how many cultures say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday together. Right. Um, So I think it's fair and unfair. Like, it's fair because also we do try in our churches sometimes to uh, build walls to make sure that everything stays the same. But the church in general, uh, I mean, it's all times, all places, all people, all genders, all whatever. I mean, it's hard to to say that uh, that would be um, you know, real anyway, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking at the mosaic, if you're looking at the big picture of it, then it's not really segregated entirely because we're all worshiping together. So the big picture is that we're this beautiful, beautiful picture of everybody worshiping Jesus all at one time. How amazing is that? Yes. Sorry. I'm rooming with someone to keep your OUO uh, going as far as it possibly can. We roomed together. So. <laughs> Had my roomie come in. But anyway. It's all good. We know you're at a conference. That's, that's important. So with his discussion questions, he says, what is your response to discussions that don't support your hopes or biases? This is a great question for our Sunday school teachers. It is. It's a great question for every Christian. I don't know. I'm flummoxed. It is. I'm perplexed. I'm okay. again, I'm like the temple police. Like, like I don't mind people thinking different than me because I've, I've certainly learned a lot from people who disagree with me. And uh, I love having the valuable conversations and my mind has been changed on things or edified because there's new information coming in that I was blind to. Um but I mean, the reason why I think what I think is because I think it's right. <laughs> right. Right. And then, and I try sure. to be humble with it, but at the same time, I don't know. I, and I don't want to make anybody angry. Right. I don't, not for the sake of just anger, for sure. It's very difficult. Um, and I'm a snob. Like, you know, if I was in charge of church, I would, I would make sure that it's a certain way because I think it's right. Right. Yeah. It, it preference, maybe whatever. I don't think right and preference are the same thing, but I think there's a no. way to worship, whatever that looks sure. like or whatnot. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, I think you do have that preference because, you know, there are some churches that are a whole lot more animated and it's beautiful and it's amazing, but not everybody prefers to worship that way. Yeah. You know, some people prefer to worship more in that quiet contemplation. So, you know, that kind of goes back and forth. Yeah. And so like it goes further. That's a preference again, not a right or wrong. That's just a a preference. And I could say this too, like uh, I'm really in when Paul says like one of the verses, there's two verses that, that helped me from Paul. 
in this. One, he's you know, like, who am I to judge somebody else's servant? There's a sense in which um, God is in a story with every single human being and people are going to change. And it's not my place to judge their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, sure. Because that's between them and God. Right. Or Paul also recognizes the difference between those who are in the church and those who are in the world. Like as, as a church, we might have certain standards that we don't allow in the church, but that doesn't mean I I could care less. You know, if Paul, you know, let's say you're at a church that doesn't think you should drink fine, but if Billy Bob's not part of my church, I hope he has a great time uh, at the tavern, right? Like, good, go for it. But so the hard part is the way Kip asked the question, like, how does your church respond to new people who get involved and yet look at faith differently? That's a tough question. Again, you want to have the conversations. You don't want to judge nobody. But as a church, I would hope that your elders um, and your Christian education and your discipleship would at least have in their mind that we don't reform the faith, but we're formed to faith, right? So the, our mm-hmm. tradition then teaches us, this is what we value. This is what we think is right. And hopefully we don't come in well, maybe we do. I don't know. This is a reformation. The church reformed, always reforming. I don't know, but there should be tension there for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree because I think, you know, again, if I had, if I had stuck with the interpretation of the denomination that I came from, I would not be in a leadership position in the church. Uh, You know, I would not have pursued ordination. Um, because that was what they believed was the right way. So God showed me and transformed me and changed me in ways where I could be accepted. And and I'm okay with women in leadership positions. And you had Um, to go through that. I did. Absolutely. You know, because again, that's that, that's that transformation, that reforming and renewal of my mind to see scripture in a different way, to see, to see what the Holy spirit was really showing me in those moments. Okay. And so I think it's important for us to have that dialogue. So let me ask this question. You yeah, came sure. out of that church, obviously, would you then when you're talking with your old friends at your old church, would you, how would you assert, would you say that they're wrong or would you hope that they do the best that they can in their own, in their own understanding sure. of scripture? You know, that's a great question because where I am currently at is predominantly a denomination that does not believe in women in leadership positions. And I've had those confrontations with people and, and I'm okay with them understanding scripture that way. Um, I I'm not in their face saying, Oh, I can't believe you, you know, because I get it. I came from that. And I understood that it was the Holy spirit who had to change me that God had to change me and show me different things in the scripture. So we have had some great conversations and if they're willing to dialogue, I will certainly sit down and show them places in scripture where women were in leadership. I will certainly show them places where I believe that they're not seeing it correctly, but I'm, I'm not going to force it down your throat. I hope that you're following God to the best of your ability in the position and understanding that you have right now where mm-hmm. you're at. Yeah. I mean, that, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, like when you think of a mosaic, does a blue, does it mean that everybody believes the same thing and they're all different colors or does it mean like a blue rock is different than the white rock and, but they form something great, but they still stay sure. blue. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I just yeah. don't know. These are hard yeah. questions. These um, are hard questions. Kip has really hit some, some really great discussions that I hope you're having in your Sunday school classes today, because it is, these are some really tough questions to answer. Like where, where is, is there a line? I don't know. 
It's very difficult. I don't know if that's a difficult one. So how do we apply this in our life? I love the story that Kip ended up with. I mean, this is just great. Um, I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs. It says Lisa was sitting in her first Bible class at the age of 40. It was the first time she ever opened the Bible and she knew that she had two five-week classes to get through to get her degree. The facilitator was a church pastor and his goal was to make everyone feel comfortable no matter how much they knew. During the second five-week class, the pastor invited the students to come to church because the church would be worshiping in their new building. No pressure, just an invitation. Lisa and another student decided to attend. From the first Sunday on, Lisa attended every Sunday for months. The pastor noticed that she never came forward for communion. By happenstance, or maybe providence, one Sunday, the pastor caught her eye and motioned her forward. The simple motion was enough to let her know she was welcome to the table. Hesitantly, she got up from her seat, walked down, and received the bread and cup. Did she understand it completely? Not then, but she was invited. Eventually, Lisa was baptized and joined the church. So this is a great, I think this is a great culmination to the conversation that we're, we've been having yeah. um, because it's, it's that, where do you go when you have people who don't necessarily understand the scripture the same that you do, or don't necessarily see it? You know, you can't. I don't think you could ever force anyone to understand scripture the way that you understand it. Cause that no. that's not how the Holy spirit works. No, but let me, I mean, like in the early church, this, this wouldn't have been a story. So like, no, in, that's true. In you know, 200, 300, 400 AD, even a little bit later before it was a quote unquote, you know, evangelical white patriarchy, whatever church you, you only took communion after a year of study. Like you only join right. the church at Christmas. I mean, I mean, at Easter a lot. Of, I mean, like, mm -hmm. so like you spent a long time making sure that you agreed to certain principles right. and then you were invited to take communion. So right. think about that in today's world, like even in our, I mean, not me, I'm one that would say I wouldn't withhold communion if somebody's, if somebody's there and they want to take communion, I would offer it to them. I wouldn't put the stipulation of saying, and you got to go through all this stuff first, but Right. For hundreds of years. That's the way the church did it. That's the way the church did it. Yeah, absolutely. And you only got baptized once a year. Yeah. And that's, so that's like, the only um, so, you know, I mean, like these things are hard uh, and I, but, and I think in your Sunday school class, you could, cause again, in my mind, I, I'm big on uh, offering uh, uh, communion to children at whatever age, if they're with their parents, especially, because like my hope with, with their children of believing parents, and I hope they'll say, why are we doing this? Right? right. Whereas a lot of churches would say, no, if they don't understand what they're doing, they shouldn't do it. Right. right. Which is kind of like this, but at the same time, I think there's some power in the ritual. So I'm sure. semi Catholic, I guess, maybe, I don't know how you would describe that, but I think because somebody in faith, even if they don't know what they're doing, steps forward to take communion and I as an ordained minister or I as a believing Christian in faith, offer something that's mysterious to someone that the Holy Spirit's working and all that. I don't know. It's, I yeah. don't know. What about you? I am curious. What do you think about communion? I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth on that one too, because I have for a long time believed that you have to be a believer first before you can participate in communion. But I've also met people and have had conversations with people 
who it was that first opportunity to participate in communion. That was their transformative experience that they had that mystical element um, just touch them in such a deep way that they came to faith through that. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm on the fence on that one too. You know, that one's really, that one's really difficult. Um, because why I don't want to with, I wouldn't want to withhold that mystical experience from somebody right? and be the, the stepping block, you know, uh, that Paul talks about. I would not want to be that hindrance for somebody to meet Jesus. I think the discussion, Mm. um, it helps us a little bit in the sense of, in that discussion where she said, what can you do rather than waiting for people to come to go seek the broken? I think you can do, I think you can do both. Like, I think you can be that mobile sure. tabernacle yes. and, and then also help people in their faith to understand. Like, again, I think it's very hard. Like the reason why we have dogma, which gets a bad name or you get called dogmatic. Yeah. But there's 2000 years of it. Like that means people have thought about it for 2000 years too. So there's, there's probably something of value in it. Don't completely disregard it because it's old. It, it's right because it's old. It might have wisdom, uh, yes. but at the same time, because it's old, it might not understand new information as well. And so I think that's the, and the, that's essentially what Jesus was doing. He was saying this ritual has meaning, but it's meaning is found in me. Don't be satisfied with the ritual. Be satisfied with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's maybe the question that we ask ourselves when it comes to these rituals or why we do certain things or why we withhold certain things or I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just a terribly because different Jesus thing. Is, it, this was really yeah, hard. This has been a really hard lesson. Golly, because Jesus is the living water. And how do you express, how do you express that living water? How do you share that with others? It looks different. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share the living water with somebody in a rehab facility, the way that I'm going to share the living water with a child of, of believers that has been in church. You know, it's, it's, it's different how I'm I'm going to approach that person and share that information with them. So that's really, hmm. that's tough. It is good conversation starters for today, for sure definitely some good conversation starters well that's all i got becky that's all i have i mean what an amazing uh this has been an interesting study it took some turns that i wasn't anticipating it to take and i hope um as you're teaching this lesson this week that it maybe gives you some pause for thought that you really spend some time with god this week before you teach this lesson and think about how god has touched you and how God has touched your family and your community of believers and how you can share that with others. So Lord bless you and keep you. There we go. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.